Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you, and I'm glad and excited about this Sunday's sermon because this passage we're going to cover today is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, before I start, many Sundays, uh, most Sundays, are uh, we, we do the passing the, the tray for contribution, and I usually give, I write my check, put it in my pocket, and I give it to Landry Joe to put in the tray. I'm kind of trying to teach her you know, to see that, you know, we contribute in the tray. I want her to watch that. And uh, what's always funny is, you know, we fold up the check mostly because I don't want her to look at what's inside. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't want her doing that. But what's funny is she always says, she goes, she goes like, we don't open this. God opens this. <laughs> She's always like, we don't open this. this. God opens this. So my daughter, who's four, she in her mind believes that we put that in the tray and we pass around, and that later this afternoon, God is going to get that in the mail, okay? And one week, she, uh, she asked me, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, and I remember thinking, I'm going to save this for my sermon coming up. She said, how does God get this money? You know, I'm guessing she's thinking, is it in an envelope, in the mail? Does, oh, and that was part of it. Part of it was, I had forgotten my check. And I was like, oh, well, don't worry, we'll give it to Melissa afterwards. And she was like, okay, okay, how do we... How does Melissa get it to God? You know what I mean? Okay. I'm going to come back to that and uh, I'll make it applicable. Um, so today we're going to be talking about Romans 12. This Romans 12, 1 and 2. This will be a record sermon for me. First time ever that my entire scripture section fits on one slide. And uh, that's because I just can't help but talk so much about these two verses. This was my, this was my verse that I would say was my favorite verse for most of my life. I would say my current favorite verse comes from 1 Thessalonians, but for most of my life, it was Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's on my letterman jacket in high school. And uh, um, before we get into that, I want to catch us up real fast on where we are in Romans 12. Paul has written this letter to a church in Rome of two people groups, Gentiles and, and Jewish Christians that aren't getting along very well. And he believes that the way that he can get them to be united is if he really reminds them about the gospel. And he tells them from the beginning, listen, none of us are worthy of salvation. All of us have fallen short. And he builds his case on how the fact that all that we can be thankful for, all that we have of whether we have a relationship with Jesus or not, is founded on Christ's faithfulness to us. And he continues on about how that means that we get to join a new humanity. We get to be a part of the humanity with Christ as our representative instead of Adam and his mistake as our representative. And he builds all this up. And finally, we get to Romans 12, which a lot of people call kind of the area where Paul almost shifts to in light of all of this good news, in light of these mercies, in, in light of this grace and this extravagant, extravagant generosity of God to be willing to let us be a part of his family, whether we were a Jew or a Gentile, but just based on faith in Christ and Christ's faithfulness, we should start to live differently now. And now we get into the we should start to live differently part. 12 through the end. Now, he does talk about living differently in other areas, but this is like the main focus of from here through chapter 15. And you can summarize pretty much the whole section with these first two verses of Romans 12, 1 and 2. You can boil all of them down to these two things. So if you would, turn to Romans 12 with me in your Bible, or you can follow along on the screen. 
like I said, one slide. What are we going to do with ourselves? It's going to be done in two minutes. No. Therefore, I urge you, because, therefore, because of all of this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're going to talk about three things today. We're going to talk about what it means to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. We're going to talk about what it means to not be to conform to this world, but be transformed by renewing our mind. And then lastly, we're going to talk a little bit about this all-time question about what it is to approve and test what God's will is. That's probably the top question you get if you're a youth minister. I'm trying to figure out what God's will is for, for my life. So we're going to talk about those three things. So if you're a note-taker, first thing we're going to talk about is this idea of offering your whole self. So let's come back to what I talked about with Landry Joe. I'm sitting there trying to be a dad, trying to be a minister to my daughter, and she asks me, how does God get this check? How does God get this cash? Does he take it in a, you know, online, uh, you know, I, we scan it with our phone, makes an online mobile deposit into his bank account? No. What, what would you have told her? I want you to think. What would you have told Landry Joe? The answer that I told Landry Joe is I said, well, the way we get God this money is by using it for his purposes here in Clifton and around the world. That's why I told her. I said, this is how we give God the money, by using it for his purposes, or you could say, in Jesus' name, around the world. This, in my opinion, is the same question to how do I offer God my body as an offering? How do I, when the communion tray gets passed around and I say, I'm giving of myself, how is God going to receive that? The answer is, God receives it when I use my arms, my hands, my feet, my mouth, my heart, my mind, when I give it all as a gift to God and say, this is, I am no longer my own, but I'm thine, I'm yours, to use for your purposes here in Clifton and around the world. The worship that we see Paul saying here is something that we always need to be reminded of, that what we do in this room is wonderful and beautiful bringing us together, but it is not true worship. True worship is what you do outside of this building in your everyday, concrete, practical lives. It's what you do when you're working at your job. It's what you do when you're in your classroom. It's what you do when you're at Brookshire's. It is how you speak and act and move. That is your gift of worship and sacrifice to God. The call to worship, it, it reminds us of a crucial theme from the beginning of the letter. At the beginning of the letter, Paul is saying in Romans 1, the reason why everybody has fallen short is because all of us choose to worship other gods. And he lists out all these other gods that people worship. And his point is, is that if you really have a relationship with God, what it looks like is to worship him and nothing else. For him to be the God in your life and not these other things. And so we see he's, he's almost bringing it back around. When you started, you worshipped other things. But now, because of this faithfulness in Christ, what it looks like is for you to worship one thing, and the way you do that is by offering yourself. Um, this is something that I, uh, I'm going to be careful how I describe this, because uh, I, could, I could easily see you maybe missing the point here. But something I've been thinking about a lot with this offer your whole self how many of you have heard the phrase, like, a means to an end, okay, that phrase before? I would like to carefully argue that I think that we are 
in a way, a means to an end. Because we often use that phrase like a harsh thing. Like, oh, they just treated me as a means to an end instead of treating me as an end in and of myself. I would like to argue that there's a chance that Romans 12 is telling us your purpose in life, my purpose in life, is to be a means to God's end. Now, yes, John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That you are part of God's purpose. You are an end of God's purpose. But we ourselves participate by being a means to God's end. So I'll use this to describe. Our culture today, and maybe for a lot of human history, but I would say for sure now, trains us, and don't hear me saying like the teens, no, this is all of us. It trains us to say that you have every right to begin every day with this as the ultimate question in your life. What is going to bring me and mine happiness and what I want today? And no one would ever criticize you in our culture for doing that. That is the status quo. The pursuit of happiness is somewhere in a, written somewhere, you know, important in our culture. You have that right. When you're facing a situation, instead of going, you know, instead of asking any other primary question, we often make the primary question is, well, what's going to be best for me and my happiness? And obviously there are some places where that's really important. You know, should I eat a healthy breakfast today or should I eat something that's not healthy? Technically, to say a healthy breakfast is better for my pursuit of happiness would be, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. But often in life, we go through everything we experience with the lens of, how can this be good for me? And I would argue that when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing, true and proper worship, it means we now have a lens in life where we view everything from the lens of how can, what, how can my words, my actions, how can what I do be a gift to God, be for His purposes, even if it doesn't look like it's going to help my purposes. Sometimes, especially when it doesn't look like it's going to help my purposes. So. Offering ourselves, in my opinion, is learning to become people that every day we go through everything we do where we think to ourselves, this is not mine to use anymore. This is all, how can I employ myself as an instrument for God's purposes, for His will here? And to end this section before we move on to the next one, I remember I had a minister friend who pointed out this verse to me, and I've never forgotten it. I loved what he said. Um, In 2 Samuel 24, there's this great scene where King David is wanting to make a sacrifice to God. And he goes to this guy and he says, hey, I want to build an altar here. And the guy goes, oh, of course, feel free, go for it. You don't need to pay me. And King David says this line, it's amazing. He says, no, I insist on paying you for it. This is from 2 Samuel 24. I will not sacrifice to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. It's a great line. I remember this was in the context of a mission trip. We were talking about teens going on a mission trip and if we kind of, if people paid for them to go. And he said, you know, I always want the teens to find some way to have to pay for their trip because we aren't going to sacrifice to God something that costs them nothing. But for me, one of the things I come back to is often when I grew up thinking of this offering my life to God as a living sacrifice, I was thinking of it almost in like, Thankfully, in in like a rosy kind of way, like when I play football on the high school football team, I'm doing it for God. When I take these tests, I'm doing it for God. But part of it that I think is crucial is the idea that a sacrifice is not something that's easy. A sacrifice is something that costs you something. And if you find yourself living a Christian life and you're saying, oh, I'm living as a sacrifice for God, but you don't feel like it's really cost you anything in your life, 
you may not actually be doing very much sacrificing, giving up for God. Okay, second main move. Uh, Do not conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Christians, Paul is encouraging them. He's begging them. I Oh, sorry. I should have done that. That's uh, if you were wanting to read while I was talking. So now, do not conform. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Christians, we are in this position of people who need to stop letting the world fit us into the world's mold of dictating how we should think, what we should think, how we should live, what we should do, what we should own. And instead, we need to figure out how we can think, speak, and act as is appropriate for not this current age, but the one to come. That's why he says, do not be transformed by this age, but be transformed by the one that is coming. I'm, I'm going to leave this up here. It's just highlighted this section, okay? One of the things that I, I, I've been debating about using this analogy for a while, because you're probably all going to think this is the weirdest analogy ever. But when I was at summer camp one time, as a youth minister, I remember there was a girl who was our group's college student leader. Uh, at this camp, you'd have college students kind of leading your group to the different activities. And I remember, you know, as the week goes on, you learn about this person. And this girl, she went to college at NYU. She was, this camp was in Texas. She, she grew up in San Antonio. Her dad was in the Air Force. She went to college at NYU. So right off the bat, you're like, this is a, a unique person. They, their answer wasn't, I went to LCU, Harding, AC, you know what I mean? And uh, I remember uh, at one point, we were doing some activity. Like I said, this is where it's going to get weird. She had a lot of armpit hair. You're probably like, what on earth? And I remember like being like, hmm, that is weird. And uh, so knowing me and knowing me as a person who is never afraid to ask questions, I said to her, I said, uh, this may sound real weird, but uh, at NYU, do the girls uh, not shave their armpits? And she cracked up. She laughed. And uh, I, she said, no, there's kind of a story behind it. I was, I'd, I'd love to hear it. So she said, all throughout high school, all throughout high school, I was an incredibly competitive volleyball player. And you could tell she was probably awesome at volleyball. And she was like, yeah, I played select volleyball all the time. And I remember one week, somebody said, uh, I, I guess it, you know, she had maybe not remembered to shave like uh, her armpits or something recently. And all the team was giving her a hard time about it. Like, oh, you got to do that. And she said, I just remember thinking, why? Why do I have to do that? And so from then on, it became my thing where it was like, hey, there is no rule out there that says I have to do this. Okay? So for those of you who are thinking, uh, is that what Paul means? Not to be uh, conforming to this world? This is where I come at it, where I would say, we do this thing sometimes as Christians where we think, When Paul says this, it means if there's anything that has to do with the culture, you should be against it. You should be counter to it. And that's ridiculous. That would be like growing up in Mexico and not liking chips and salsa. That would be like living in Clifton and being like, well, the culture wears boots, so I'm not going to. Okay, this is not where Paul is going. But where he is going is we have to become people who when we look at the world, our first inclination is to go, why am I choosing to do this? Or why am I choosing not to do this? And here's, here's something that I, I read N.T. Wright was talking about this, and I loved his point. He said, most of the world thinks of us Christians as people who turn off our brains and follow God. People who go, well, I don't know why God says I should do this. I don't know why I have to do all this, but I'm going to be a Christian, so I'm going to just switch off my brain, and I'm going to be a robot that goes to Sunday morning and Sunday night and does all the rituals, reads my Bible, does all this, and and it's all non-thinking, okay? 
And his point that he makes is, that is so contrary from what Paul believes. For Paul, he believes the way that you are going to be able to be someone who no longer lives according to the patterns of this world is by now having a mind in light of God's mercy, in light of what Christ has done for me, in light of the fact that my salvation is in His faithfulness and not my earning it, in light of all this stuff He's done for me, that I've died to my old life and been born into this new life, I need to have a new mind that is constantly thinking, what do I want to do with... Do my kids have to do that? Uh, now I'm going back to that point. If someone says, well, oh, if you're going to be a good parent, you better get your kids in the right select basketball league. Do I have to do that? Or if you, you, you aren't going to win clients for your business if you're not doing this and this. Do I have to do that? Well, you aren't going to be a good preacher if you're not doing this and this. Do I have to do that? You, you aren't going to be influential in your community. You're not going to be able to run for office if you're not doing this and this. Do I have to do that? And learning to be people that have this lens of, I have had my mind transformed and renewed by all these things, and so I'm actually going to think about what I'm going to do. And the irony, this is the thing coming back, the irony is there are so many people who live their lives who aren't following Jesus that they do so many things in their life because they've turned off their brains and they're just following the culture. There are so many people where if you asked them, why did you care so much about making sure your child was involved in these things? They would have told you, I don't know, like the, the sheet got passed in front of me and the other kids seemed to be signing up, so we signed them up. That is what turning off your brain is. Does that make sense? I'm a firm believer as a parent that anytime you decide something, there is not necessarily a right or wrong answer. But the key to me is, did you think it through before you actually made that choice? If you decide to homeschool your kids, there are pros and cons. If you decide you're sending to school to public school, there's pros and cons. But is the question is, did you think about it or did you just go through the motions? Because that's what the culture is doing. And this is the invitation that Paul is inviting all of us to, is to say that the key of our transformation, the key to living this life for Christ now as a living sacrifice is that through the renewing of our mind, through seeing what Christ has done, we see the world with a new lens. And instead of just doing what everybody else is doing, we look at it and we ask ourselves the question, why did I choose to do this? And I think, if you really think about it, the number of us that if, if you said, well, why did you decide to buy that three-bedroom, two-bathroom house? Well, that's what you do, right? You know, why did you decide to get that golden retriever? Well, that's what you do, right? You know, you get married, then you get a dog, right? And there's nothing wrong with getting a dog after you get married. There is something wrong with just doing it because that's the rule that you do next. Well, you know, all you sitting here, you teens, the rule is go to school and then after school, think about what four-year university you want to go to, go there, and then do what's next. Is there anything wrong with that? No. But there is if you just think that's just the rule. What would be great is instead to do something where you think, I want to go to a four-year university because I want to do this. I want to go to welding school because I want to do this. I want to decide because I have had my mind renewed and transformed. Okay, the last thing is this great line where it says, then once you've had your mind transformed, you will be able to, as it says in the text, it doesn't say wrestle with, but I'm going to show that it kind of does. You will be able to wrestle with God's will. In the scripture it says, then you will be able to test and approve God, what God's will for you. This word approve in Greek 
it's not just like, oh, this is what it is. It actually comes from this idea of approving something after you've tested and examined it closely. And the reason I bring this up is so many of you here would love to know what, what is God's will. How do I know what God's will is? And according to Paul, he believes that if you live your life offering yourself constantly as a sacrifice to God, giving of yourself for God's purposes, and you will look at what Christ has done and let it transform the way you see the world, the way that you understand this is how I'm supposed to live. Not, well, that's just the rule. I, you know, I, I got to... I grew up in Dallas. I gotta like the Cowboys. No, you don't. You can think about it. <laughs> you have these choices that you get to make. If you will do that, you will be able to test and approve and examine what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. And I just want to make two points about this and then I'm going to conclude. I believe, and I've said this before, this is the number one thing I tell students when I talk about God's will. I believe we act like God's will is about something that we do. Or, that's what they say. What do, I, what do I have to do? And I tell them, God's will is less about what you do and it's more about who you are. So, if we think of it like this, if I am someone who is constantly having my life given over to God and for His purposes, if I'm someone who's constantly allowing my mind to be transformed by saying, in light of Christ and His cross and His faithfulness, this is how I'm going to choose to live, I believe you will start to learn what God's will for who you are supposed to be is. Not, should I go to this job or this job? Does that make sense? Who are you going to be is what approving God's will is more about. And the good news, in my opinion, is that just like whenever I did the sermon in John on the phrase where it says, everything you pray in Jesus' name, I will answer. And I said that prayer doesn't mean that in Jesus' name is like a magical spell. You know, God, I pray for rain in Jesus' name. It's not hocus pocus. It's not some... The idea is anything you pray where Jesus is at the center of it, Jesus is going to go. Those prayers are going to get answered. Okay? I would say the same thing about God's will. If I'm someone who is doing everything I can to say, I want my life to be for your purposes, God. I want to transform my mind. God is going to say, oh, you're going to have a pretty good time finding my will if you're constantly asking the question, how can my life be used for your purposes? And it's less about where you go to work or where you go to college, and it's more about who are you going to be. So, this is one of my favorite prayers, and it's a great place to wrap up. This, in my opinion, this prayer will summarize everything you need to know about what it means to live out Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is called, referred to as the Wesley Covenant Prayer. I am no longer my own, but thine. I'm not mine anymore, I'm yours. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee, or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee, or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. If you can learn how to pray this prayer, which, by the way, is about as hard as it gets, I don't know how to pray this prayer yet, but if we can learn how to pray this prayer, we can learn how to people, be people who say, I am offering my life as a gift to you, God. This is true and proper worship. If any of you would like to know what it means 
to offer your life to God in this way. Um, elders are going to be standing at the doors. If any of you have any prayer requests, we'd encourage you to go talk with them or talk with any of us during this week while we stand and we sing this song.